0: Uh, that picture was taken back in 1989 or somewhere right around there. It was the very first church directory picture that was taken of our family, I think. Isn't, I, was the, I was the youth and singles pastor at the West Des Moines United Methodist Church, and it's probably not the best family picture we ever have taken. My daughter Elizabeth hates that picture because it was the only time in her life she ever had short hair, right, Lise? And... So she thinks she looks like a little boy. I think it was the last time my son Simon ever wore a suit. (laughs) It was definitely the last time he ever wore a bow tie, I'll promise you that. (laughs) So you might ask, well, well, and but what I want you to know is that ever since that picture was taken, it has been sitting on my desk wherever I have been the pastor, ever since then. Now, you might ask if, if it's not the best picture that your family ever took, Why is it the one sitting on your desk? Because I've had lots of pictures sitting on my desk over the years. Um, But I have kept that particular one on my desk for the last 30 some odd years. And um, I'll tell you why. It, it, It has caused me to do three things. It has caused me to remember um, what the way things used to be, um, it touches my heart, and it also calls me to live out one of my primary purposes, which is to be a a husband and a father, um, so it calls me to action, right? now, why would I share with that with you this morning? Well, I'll tell you why. This morning, as we continue our, um, our journey through the uh, New Testament letters of Paul to the Corinthians, um, Paul is describing for us today in our, in our Scripture passage um, a picture that Jesus left for us. It's not a picture in the classical sense like this one is, but it's a picture nonetheless that is intended to do three things for you. It is intended to cause you to remember. It is intended to touch your heart. And it is intended to call you to action on behalf of those that you love. So, if you want to know what I'm talking about today... I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you're using one of the church Bibles, that's found on page 1139. Um, And as you're doing that, I'll give you just a real quick synopsis of um, some things that Billy preached on last week. Because you'll know that if you were with us last week, Billy preached on the first half of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And today we're doing the second half. If you recall, last week, as... uh, As Billy was preaching on that first half of chapter 11, he was talking um, about, or he was addressing two things that were going on in the Corinthian culture that kind of had to do with fashion at some level. He was talking about head coverings and hairstyles. Do you remember that? Now, as he preached, we began to understand that there was more going on there than just talking about head coverings and hairstyles. But on the surface, that's the way it appeared is basically talking about how fashion um, was being played out in their culture and in some ways in their church. Now, um, so we have that in the first 16 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, Paul pivots, almost on a dime, from talking about uh, head coverings and hairstyles to talking about the sacrament. Of communion. There's, there's hardly any transition between the two seemingly incongruous uh, topics. He just goes from head coverings and hairstyles to uh, talking about communion, nothing in between. He just goes one right into the other, and it seemed really, really weird to me. Why did he make such an abrupt uh, pivot? And if it wasn't abrupt, what am I missing? Here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. I want to suggest to you that in some ways, head coverings and hairstyle do go with communion. And I'll show you why. It's because when you you boil it down, head coverings and communion both have the potential to um, reveal the condition of a person's heart. I'll show you what I mean. Um, let's, we're starting here at First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty, or somewhere in there, and this is what Paul says. Now I want you to read it all and read it in context yourself, but I'm going to focus on two verses in particular um, because it will help to illustrate the point that I'm making. First Corinthians chapter eleven, starting at verse twenty, the apostle Paul. Says this to the Corinthian church, he says, uh, he says, uh, when you all come together um, to eat the meal, it's not for the Lord's supper. No, when you eat, some of you kind of eat all by yourself, or you go ahead and do it yourself, and then others of you don't eat at all, and then others of you get drunk. Now. I, I was reading that this week, and I'm going, even, even in the, reading it in the context of the passage of Scripture, it still kind of was confusing to me. And it's, the reason why it's confusing is that you have to understand, again, some of the cultural context that was going on for you to fully appreciate those couple of verses in particular. So what was the cultural context? Back in the day, during, when this was, Paul was writing this to the Corinthians, right, they didn't have church facilities like we have what we have right now, right? They would, so they had, when they gathered together on a regular basis to worship, they would gather in people's homes. They were called house churches, right? And most of the time when they were gathering, they would gather in an affluent person's home because generally their homes were were bigger and they could accommodate more people. Makes sense, doesn't it? And one of the traditions that was developing uh, in the Corinthian church, but in churches all around, was that when people would gather together in these house churches, they would celebrate something called a, um, a love feast. They would, have, they would have dinner together. And as part of having dinner together, they would celebrate the sacrament of communion. Now up to this point, that all sounds great, right? I mean, who doesn't like to eat? Right? Good thing. All good stuff. But as time went on, things began to go off the rails. Because what was happening was this, um, they had begun to forget the purpose of their tradition, the, the, the purpose of gathering together for the love feast and having communion together. Some people began to, when they were, as, they were, as weeks would go by and they would have these love feasts together, they gathered together at people's house, it became more about having dinner together than it did about having a love feast together. And then sometimes, because um, they had forgotten the purpose of the love feast and thus the Lord's Supper, um, they, they, depending on whose house they might go to, they didn't really like Aunt Sally's uh, meatloaf, so they would eat before they came. You know what I'm saying, right? Some people would. They would come and they wouldn't even eat. They would just drink because they liked the wine, right? (laughs) And then you know what else was happening? Um, sometimes the people who were hosting would have a pre-party. They would invite their closer friends over before everybody else was supposed to come, and they'd have a little party and they'd eat, and they'd drink to their heart's content, and then everybody else would show up. And they had already been there wasn't a lot of food left, and they were already three sheets to the wind. And when Paul recognizes what's going on, he's incredulous. He's saying, what are you people doing? Right? He was, he was offended by the fact that they were not only being rude and selfish, but they were actually using the sacrament of communion as a tool of their selfishness. That's what was going on. Now, as you've been sitting and listening to... Um, my explanation and and I admit that part of it may have been embellished but you get my point right don't miss the point in the midst of my storytelling some of you are probably hearing my story and you're thinking man these guys are messed up right and if you were thinking man these Corinthians are messed up you would be right these Corinthians are messed up but if you were thinking they were the only ones that were messed up That's where your problem starts. Because the Corinthians were not the only ones that were messed up. The truth of the matter is, Christians have been messed up ever since then. The fact of the matter is, we Christians have been using the practice of our religion in selfish and rude ways for centuries. The fact of the matter is, we Christians have been using the sacrament of communion in selfish and rude ways for centuries. We have used big words like transubstantiation and consubstantiation to divide one brother from another brother. We have have said, well, if you don't serve communion the way I serve communion, then you're not doing it right. while we've been doing things like this we have been missing the point of communion in the first place and what is the point of, what was the point of Jesus giving us communion in the first place? Well let me put it to you this way He gave us the sacrament of communion to serve kind of as a A beautiful picture that would remind you of all that he sacrificed for you. That would, a beautiful picture that would touch your heart and that would call you to serve just as he served, right? But we get so caught up in all the other stuff that we forget that, don't we? Well, that's not the kind of bread you should be using. Should we be using grape juice or or wine? You know what I'm getting at? I'm not saying that that the theology of communion isn't important. It's very important. But if you forget the, the, the reason why all the theology becomes inconsequential, we need to remember what it's all about. Fundamentally, we need to know what it's all about. You see, the sacrament of communion is, is the, the church has said for centuries that the sacrament of communion is a mystery. And the reason why we call it a mystery is because there's more going on in the sacrament of communion that we human beings can get our minds around. That's just the truth. We can't fully. I'm going to get to heaven someday, and I'm gonna and, and and I'll have my fully developed understanding of communion and Jesus will throw his arms around me and he'll hug me and he'll say, Oh man, you're stupid. <laughs> because I can't fully comprehend all that's going on in it. But I can grasp the fundamental purpose of it. To remember what Jesus did for us. To cause it to touch my heart. And bring me to tears, maybe. And to call me to action, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to the world. Because ultimately, that's what it's about, right? Jesus gave us this beautiful picture because he was saying, listen, they didn't know it at the time, did they? But he was saying, listen, I'm I'm about to, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again and I'm going to ascend into heaven and then you're going to be the church. You're going to be my hands and feet in the world and I'm giving you a picture to remind you of all that. Right? And then time goes by and we get lost in the minutiae. I think what Jesus wants us to remember today is don't do that. You may have noticed when you came in to worship today that things are set up a little different than normal. And uh, many of you wanted to know what was going on. And I said, well, you have to pay attention. Maybe you'll find out. Today we're going to we're going sacrif- to uh, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of communion in a not normal way, um, in the hope that we might come to it and perceive it from a new perspective, one that would, yes, cause us to remember, that would touch our hearts and call us to action. So I'll explain it a little more to you in just a moment, but it, let, me, let me set the stage by doing this, okay? It was 2,000 years ago, and there was a party going on. It was called a, a Passover celebration. There were tens of thousands of Jewish pilgrims that had gathered in, in Jerusalem just as they did every year, or they tried to as many of them as they could. Um, and in the midst of this celebration, there were different parts of the party that were that were intended to cause them to remember what God had done, what God was doing, and what God was going to do in the future. And part of the celebration was something called the Seder meal, right? And the Seder meal was something that... that um, It was a multiple-course meal, and each course was to do just what I just described to you. Remind us what God has done in the past to remind us what God is doing in the present as well as what God is going to do in the future. Everybody who grew up in a, a Jewish home knew the traditions of the Seder. So when Jesus broke from the tradition and didn't do things normally, they're, they're thinking, well, what's going on? Because he was trying to get them to look at it from a different perspective, right? So, at one point in the meal, Jesus, who, because he's the rabbi or the teacher, he he was leading or hosting the meal, he takes the bread, he lifts it up to God, he blesses it, he says a prayer of thanks over it, right? Then he breaks it. And he turns to his friends and he says, Now take and eat. For this is my body. That's not normal. He was, he was prophesying, remember? He was letting them know. They didn't know it, but he knew it, because he's God. He said, This is my body broken for you. He was wanting them, he was wanting them to remember after the fact that he had said, This is my body broken. When, after, when he was, when he was Uh, taken and beaten and scourged and hung on the cross, they would remember, this is my body, broken for you. Every time you eat from the bread, remember that you are the body of Christ. That you are being called to action. This isn't just some religious ceremony that we do once a month. This is to to cause you to remember and to touch your heart and, and, and to call you to action. Remember. You are the body of Christ. You are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Remember. And then take action. After the meal, he took the cup. He lifted it to God. He blessed it. And then he turned to his friends and he said, Now take and drink, for this is the cup of a new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Again, he's prophesying, right? About how they would, they would whip him and put a of, crown of thorns on his head and drive nails through his hands and feet and stick him in the side with a, with a spear. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Every time you drink from the cup, remember... But he wasn't just asking them to remember what he had done, but he was also wanting them to know that because of what he had done, they'd been washed as pure and white as snow. And he was wanting them to know and to remember that once they had been washed as pure and white as snow, there would be, in their own mind, maybe it was the devil whispering in their ear, or maybe it was the, just their own conscience saying, I don't, I don't, I'm not worthy to be Jesus to the world. And... and That's what He wanted them to remember, that they had been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that you're right, you're not worthy, but you've been made worthy by the the blood of the Lamb, right? That's why you can act. That's why you can move into action and actually be Jesus to the world, because you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. So, sometimes we just need to be shook out of normal. To see things from a different perspective. To fully understand, or to more better, more fully understand and appreciate what Jesus has done for you because He loves you and what He's calling you to to be because He loves them. So, this morning... We aren't going to have communion like we normally do. We're going to do it this way. Um, no one's going to come and dismiss you. No one's going to serve you as we normally do up here in front. By the way, that's, I love doing communion the way we normally do it. And it's, it's a beautiful way to receive communion. And so is this. As the Spirit, we're going to have, in just a moment, the, there's going to be some music playing. And when the Spirit leads you, you're going to be invited to come and take a piece of bread that has already been torn and put in the basket, to take a piece of bread and a cup and know that as you take these elements, that Jesus has called you here. And that Jesus is inviting you to remember. And that Jesus is inviting you to let him into your heart. And Jesus is inviting you to be his hands and his feet. To those people out there who, who have no idea who he is. Or that there is love and that there is hope available.